Welcome to The Bridgehead with Stephanie Gray and Jonathan Van Maren, bringing you cutting-edge news, commentary, and interviews from the front lines of the culture wars. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Bridgehead on AM 530 at 1.30 p.m. My name is Jonathan Van Maren, and I'll be your host for the next half an hour. Now, as over the past number of weeks we've gone through uh, different human rights violations, I think it's about time that we take a look at something that's happening uh, right now, something that most of you are probably aware of, and that's, that's the persecution of Christians. Now, uh, Christians have always been, been persecuted, but almost uh, never so much as today in 2014. We have Christians being persecuted in Nigeria and other places in Africa. We have Christians being persecuted uh, brutally in North Korea, even executed for owning Bibles. And as we've been hearing uh, more and more and more, we have Christians being persecuted on a mass scale in the country of Iraq by a new organization, or somewhat new. It was founded in, in October of 2004, a group called ISIS. Now, ISIS, uh, or the Islamic State, as the media has often been referring to it as, is an Islamic group that is so radical it's even been renounced by Al-Qaeda. You know when a group that flies planes into buildings full of civilians and beheads journalists is condemning a group as a too radical, that what we are dealing with here are some, some really primitive savages, especially in how they relate to the people that they've been conquering. And the Islamic State was formed in, in early 2004, and it's gone through a few name changes since then. But in, in 2006, yeah, about 13, uh, 13th of October, the Islamic State of Iraq was announced, and, and a group of, of high-ranking terrorists took this group over, and they had designs on the entire Middle East. They had designs to set up an Islamic caliphate, uh, adhering to a really strict fundamentalist, a radical version of Islam. And what we've seen over the past several months is that is they've exploited the confusion and the, and, and the terror after the Arab Spring and, and situations like that that we've seen in, in, in Syria with the civil war between rebel forces and the forces of President Bashar al-Assad. And they've conquered an enormous amount of territory considering the fact uh, that they're just just a terrorist group, but a terrorist group with, with an incredibly sophisticated military and, and a military that's often stalked by even Western Muslims. There's Muslims from Canada and from Australia and from Britain who have gone to join these forces. They're also a very prominent on social media, and this is how uh, much of the Western world has been getting an up-close look at how ISIS operates. We've been seeing uh, tweeted photos of beheaded people. One of the most jarring instances of that was was a week or two ago when an Australian ISIS jihadist posted a picture of his young son holding up uh, the decapitated head of a Syrian soldier with the tagline, that's my boy. Uh, ISIS is known now for executing enormous amounts of prisoners. Any of you who have taken a look at any of the stuff on YouTube see that ISIS has been executing hundreds upon hundreds of soldiers, Iraqi soldiers, Syrian soldiers, anybody who opposes them, once they're captured, uh, they're being knelt down in front of rivers and, and, and shot. Uh, they're being shot on mountainsides. There, there are mass graves, again, in the Middle East being filled up with the executed soldiers who have dared to defy this terrorist group, ISIS. 
Many news organizations are now referring to ISIS as the most feared jihadist organization on the planet. It's now even more feared than its its, its original parent group that has since repudiated Al-Qaeda, because since early June, ISIS conquered the northern Iraqi cities of Mosul and Tikrit, which is adding to territory it's already uh, controlling in Syria, even as it fights the forces of Bashar al-Assad. And over the last few weeks, it seized large swaths of western and northern Iraq, this country having been left by American forces only several years ago. Now, this group calls itself a caliphate and is trying to implement its own extraordinarily harsh version of Islamic law called Sharia. Now, most of you probably will be familiar with with what Sharia law is if if you've been following these events at all. Sharia law essentially relegates all non-Muslim members of the country uh, to second-class citizen status, uh, especially Christians and other minorities, which uh, explains the extraordinarily harsh treatment that Christians and Yadzis and other minorities have suffered at the face of ISIS terrorists. And one of the things that we've seen is entire groups of Christians being ordered to either convert to Islam or die. In some cases, Christians are being threatened with the deaths of their families or they will promptly be massacred unless the Christians agree to convert to Islam. As a result, tens of thousands of men and women and children are fleeing for their lives, attempting to to escape uh, this terrorist group. There are stories coming out of the Middle East of of beheaded men, women, and children uh, having their decapitated heads stuck on poles around the cities uh, of Mosul and Tikrit. We're hearing about children being dismembered. We're hearing shocking and horrifying stories of women being uh, raped in front of their families. In one case, a Christian man committing suicide in despair after seeing his wife and daughters get raped. We're hearing about women being kidnapped, uh, both Christian women and women from minorities, and sold on an ISIS slave market or passed off to ISIS fighters uh, as slaves. They're called wives, but in reality, uh, they're functioning as sex slaves or comfort women for the ISIS terrorist forces. As a result of ISIS troop movements and this ISIS invasion, we have, according to some news sources, 1.2 million Iraqis who have already been displaced. And the guest that we've got uh, coming up in just a few moments will tell us a bit more about this. But as many Christian leaders are pointing out, this is now uh, nothing more than a genocide. The Islamic State has warned Christians in Mosul that if you do not convert or pay an enormous fine, there is nothing left uh, to give you but the sword. Another Iraqi that I spoke to several weeks ago said that even though the Islamic the Islamic State is telling them to convert or die, really, uh, they, they don't have the choice to pay the fine because even if they choose to convert, even if they choose to say the words of conversion, uh, their family is still taken from them. So really, they either have to convert or flee or die. There are really no other options, and many of these Christians have become trapped, and there's an enormous number of them uh, up north and near the border of Kurdistan. We heard on, on July 14th from the Human Rights Watch, and, and many of you may have seen the symbol on Facebook, the, the Arabic symbol for N, painted on the, the doors of Christians' homes across Mosul, N standing for Nazarene, indicating that the occupants of that home were indeed Christian, marking them uh, for persecution and death. This is, of course, reminiscent of the Jewish star that Jews were forced to wear during the Second World War. So just to, to talk to somebody who knows a bit more about the situation, earlier today I managed to get a hold of, of the Reverend Canon Andrew White, 
Uh, he's the vicar of St. George's Church in Baghdad, the only Anglican church in Iraq. And as he points out in our discussion, he's one of the only Westerners on the ground there who can really give an accurate account of what's happening. So we're going to be following up on this story over the next couple of weeks. Uh, but for the time being, I'd just like to share with you uh, the words of of the Reverend Andrew White, the vicar of Baghdad, and, and, and to hear what he has to say about what's going on in Iraq and, and what we can all do about it to help. So um, would you mind just giving us uh, an overview of how things look on the ground in Iraq right now? Um, well, you can either say that they are terrible or really, really terrible or awful. Right. Most of the Christians have been made to flee to the north. They have had to leave their homes in Mosul and Nineveh, which has been their traditional living place for years. And now they're living as refugees in camps along the Kurdish borders. And they've got very little resources. We're having to provide them everything. My colleague today is just going around seeing how many disabled people need wheelchairs bought for them. Right. You're located in Baghdad, correct? Yes. My colleague is up north. Have any of uh, the people from your church been affected by what's happening? Well, a lot of the people have come down from the north to Baghdad to find shelter amongst friends. One lady has a very small apartment, just two rooms, and she's got 13 people staying with her now. So everywhere is just crowded, full of people who have been ousted from their residence and just suffering. What kind of things have they been telling you? Well, there was one man, and he was disabled and had hidden his children in his house in Kirkush. And ISIS came in one day and said, you're a Christian, you either convert or we chop off the heads of all your children. So he was forced to say the words of conversion, and they spared his children. But they said if he came back and they saw that he had been doing any Christian things, they would kill them all. And he phoned me and said, Abuna, Abuna, Father, Father, how could I do this? Will Jesus not love me anymore because I've done this? And I said to him, no. What, whoever was in this situation would have done the same to save their children. And you will not lose them. And you will not lose your faith. And you are still a Christian. Right. Uh, we've been hearing a lot of media reports out here in the West of of things that are so savage they seem almost bizarre, of Christians being beheaded and their heads put on sticks and things like this. Is any of this exaggeration, or is this actually what's happening in Iraq? Oh, it's just been terrible. They have been amputating people's heads. 
and putting them on railings. They have chopped children in half. You know, I write some of these things on my blogs and nobody believes it. They say you must be making it up. There's no evidence of this. This isn't in this paper or that paper. Here we are living with it. And people can't accept it. There is no other, there is no other Western person here in central Iraq. Not one. I'm the only one. And there, but they can't believe it. And there is no Western, are there any Western journalists that have gotten anywhere close? There are some journalists who have been in and out a few times, and, but most of them are in Erbil in the north. And Erbil is totally safe. I did have our Damon down here for a little while, a couple of weeks ago, and Jane Aruf, but we haven't had many at all. And the poor staff at the embassies, they are never allowed out. In the American embassy, they're not even allowed to put one foot outside the embassy into the green zone. I'm chaplain to the U.S. embassy as well. Is it as dangerous now? It was the, US, the American airstrikes have just started. Has, have things gotten any safer uh, since ISIS took Mosul, or, or are things just as bad as they were a couple of weeks ago? Um, there is no evidence of things being safer. They may be. We hope that ISIS have been prevented from moving into Kurdistan or moving into Baghdad, but we don't really know. So you're prepared for the eventuality that ISIS could actually reach Baghdad? They could. I'd be quite surprised if that would happen because the airstrikes have been preventing serious movement. And the other fact is that when ISIS were on the move en masse, it is known that they are moving. They are known. So, Christ so they have been followed. So where, where are all the Christians going? You say some of them are coming to Baghdad to stay with friends. Some of them are in refugee camps along the border of Kurdistan. I know countries like France. Most of them are in the north. The vast majority are in the north. In the north. We've just had 50 or 60 come to Baghdad. But most of them have headed north. Countries like France have offered asylum, but is, is, that, is that a real offer, or is there no way for the Christians to reach these places? Well, France have offered asylum, but I don't know anybody who's got it. These people are all on the border with no refugee status or invitation to any other place for real. You hear this in theory, but in practice, do you see it? Right. To the people listening, 
who uh, who who sort of hear some things on the news and, and and find it find it difficult to believe. What would you from Iraq have to say to our listeners to impress upon them uh, the gravity of this situation? Well, it's very difficult. You can just say how painful it is that those who you've shared this story with cannot believe it because it seems too awful. It is too awful. The nearest thing I can compare it to is the tragedy of the Shoah, of the Holocaust, literally happening in our midst, right in our midst, and people do not think it can be real. Right. What can people out, out here do? We hear all these stories, um, you know, we read the stories on your blog, we hear the stories you've just told us, but what can we out here in Canada and the United States actually do to help? Well, what you can do is very important. First of all, Canada in a, is in a very strong position because it has the best prime minister in the world. Mm-hmm. And we hope that your government will take this seriously. I want to go and see your government when I go over there. I really want to go and see your prime minister. We used to have a brilliant commercial um, consulate officer here, Stephanie, from the Canadian Embassy in Amman, sent to us. So that's what they can do. They can take seriously what is happening here, stand with us. But at the end of the day, what we really need is the support of individual Christians and churches both in prayer and in finances. Which organization would you recommend as being the best one? Well, we are the only one on the ground. We're called the Foundation for Relief and Reconciliation in the Middle East. In the Middle East. And it's known as F-R-R-M-A, Foundation for Relief and Reconciliation in the Middle East. And there's also a branch called F-R-R-M-E, America. Okay. Both of those organizations provide us with the support to meet the needs of people on the ground. I think all of us here in Canada can, can hear what what the vicar of Baghdad has had to tell us and, and sort of shudder. We can't even imagine that type of persecution. We can't imagine living in a country where uh, Christian women are being raped and kidnapped just because they're Christian, where children are being beheaded and dismembered, uh, where men are being beheaded and dismembered, uh, where people are being destroyed on a mass scale just because of their Christian beliefs. But uh, Canon White has had had a few a few suggestions for everyone, and I really want to encourage them to go and check out his website and, and take a look at what he's doing, see how we can help, see how we can perform our responsibility to our fellow Christians, and, and get on the internet. I want you guys to look up ISIS and look up what's taking place and, and see what you can do. We're going to be following up with the story over the next couple of weeks. There's a few more interviews I'd like to share with you and, and a few more people that I've spoken to, but in the meantime... We would just like to keep the Christians and other minorities of Iraq in our prayers. You were listening to an interview between myself, Jonathan Van Maren, and the vicar of Baghdad, Andrew White. Thanks so much for listening, and have a great weekend.